We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now it's time for our mailbag, Ryan. So we, we only have a few questions so far. So if you all want your questions answered, please throw them in there now. We would we would we'll get to those as much as we can. There was a couple of questions here from Brandon K to start things off with, Brian. But uh, we had to start with this. It wasn't a question. Uh, well, it was, but it was it was not a real question. But I just had to bring it up because this is very well done. Brandon K says, really tough question for you. Is there a relationship between your ability to hit a golf ball and your ability to recruit talented athletes in your state. Um, he's referring to a comment from Brian Kelly uh, this weekend, which I just think is incredibly well done, Brandon. Uh, th- there's a lot of shade here that I that I appreciate and respect. Uh, that I, uh, I yeah, uh, yes, it, and it is. It's the more you, the more you, the better you get at golf. Odds are pretty good. The worse you're going to be at recruiting. So yes, because you're going to spend less yes. time recruiting. <laughs> yes, right. I've already Facetimed three kids today. Oh, you're finally doing your job. Okay, great. That's wonderful. <sighs> I see you are in with Irish luck. Thank you for the super chat. Very, very much. He asked with how the 2022 class ended, how the 2023 class is shaping up, and with the potential of the 2024 class. Could you see Notre Dame being able to just dominate like Georgia did last year? Clemson did their last national championship at Alabama on past national championship teams. You want to take a crack at that first, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the formula obviously is what Alabama has done, right, as far as the consistency on the recruiting trail. And I know we're talking about – because, Brian, I think you were a fan of especially how the 2022 class finished, right, with Jalen Sneed getting in the class late and, you know, getting Tyson Ford on, you know, to, to be a part of the program and all that good stuff. 2023 having the potential to have a top three class. If they're able to do the same thing in 2024, you're in the right direction, but I think it still even takes a couple more years to be just a consistent dominant team, right? Like you mm-hmm. need to stack classes for them to get to a point where it's just like, wow, someone is off the field or someone got injured. The next guy in just as good as the last guy that was in, right? Like that's where, you get rotations like the Georgia Bulldogs just had a defensive tackle where it's like we have Jordan Davis, but also we have Jalen Carter. Also we have mm-hmm. Devontae Wyatt. Hey, we have Trevon Walker, but we also have Nolan Smith who going into the year 
wasn't even their best edge. If everyone forgets about Adam Anderson was their dude going into the year, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's going to take a little bit while from getting to that level. But Notre Dame, if they start stacking classes, it's going to get to that depth point pretty quickly here, in my opinion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I, I, I would say I'd have to see how the 24 class ends. It Because it, it's... And the reason I say that, because this is a great question, I, I, because he's he's basically saying there's three classes in a row. The 22 class had some holes, but the places where it hit, it hit impressively, right? I mean, you only signed one receiver. That was a big loss. But the one we got was pretty good. You know, you got Jadarian Price at running back. You got the two tight ends are really good. You got a good five-man class in the offensive line. Defensively, very, very strong class. You feel, You didn't fill up at safety the way you needed to. But then they come out and they, you know, have a very strong safety class in 2023. Can they repeat that again in 2024? You know, are they able to fill up, like you said, m- you know, more edge rushers? You know, can you can you sign Keon Keely in this class and follow up with you know, Elijah Rushing in the next class? You know, they're doing well with the power ends. You know, you got last year you got Tyson Ford, and this year you get, you know, you get a couple Brandon Davis or Brandon Vernon could be that guy. Uh, obviously, Bubakar Traore could be that guy. And you've already got Brandon Davis Swain in next year's class. So there's some positions they're doing well. But I just, it's one thing for me to say if they get a really good edge rusher, that's one thing. But then I got to see, well, who is that edge rusher? You know, and and, and so for me, I, I just got to see how it shakes out. Say you get a really good receiver class. Okay. But is that really good, meaning you got guys that we really like? Or does that mean you end up getting Micah Hudson's and Ryan Wingo's? Right. And so right. to me, I'd actually have to see it kind of play out uh 
I will say this, however, if Notre Dame can finish 24 with the guys that you and I would view as like the, the difference makers of the level that they got this year. So, you know, there is a, a Micah Hudson in there and a, and a Ryan Wingo potentially, you know, they, they are able to go out and get an Elijah rushing or a Nigel Smith or, you know, guys like that to go with what they have now, if they can follow up at linebacker with another great class, if they're able to get the Caleb Beasley's and, and guys like that at corner uh, that we think are difference makers, if they're able to go get really good safeties in, in the class, you know, Peyton Woodyard, and there's plenty of good safeties on the board. I think they do have a chance to be that kind of team. I think the differences between Notre Dame and Georgia is I don't think Notre Dame would necessarily quite have the depth that Georgia did at a couple spots, uh, but they, they'd be built differently. I think Notre Dame, you could argue, maybe would have a little bit more athleticism up front from a football standpoint where Georgia's guys were more big power athletes because it's the style of defense they run. So there'd be some differences in style of play just because they're, they run different defenses. But, yeah, I do think when you look at last year's linebacker class and D-line class and corner class and what they're doing now, that they have a chance to get there. Uh, the difference is I think Notre Dame's recruiting better offensively right now. And, and part of it, too, is Georgia. Georgia's offense last year struggled through a lot of injuries that tapped their tamped their offense down. You know, they didn't have George Pickens most of the year. They didn't have Eric Gilbert, who I, I think Eric Gilbert's a little overrated. He's still really good. You know, I mean, and you put him with Brock Bowers all years. If he's healthy physically and mentally, that offense is going to look a little different. George is a much better football team. And you also then add George Pickens in at receiver. So that's the part of it, too. But that's also where you got to get to where you can lose an Eric Gilbert and a and a George Pickens and an Adam Anderson. And you still go out and dominate and win a national championship. Right. 100%. Is Notre Dame there yet? I don't know if they're there yet to Ryan's point, but I think these classes get them to the, to the point where they could be in that conversation. But here's the big thing for me: they still have to cons- they still have to be able to develop quarterback better. Yeah. They've got a guy in 2024 that I think can be a national championship caliber quarterback based on what we've seen through his sophomore film, sure. and and that's very limited. You know, Austin Novosad and Kenny Minchie to me are guys that if you put them behind the right offense, you can go out there and be play with anybody. Uh, but can they develop them? That's still going to go back to my question. And I think Tommy Reese has done some good things the last couple of years with quarterbacks who didn't have necessarily great talent or Jack Cohn or a great mind, Ian Book. Well, that shouldn't be an issue moving forward. You've got to recruit those guys. He's got to do a better job of closing as a recruiter year after year after year, not just one every three or four years. But if Tommy Reese can develop quarterbacks, then my answer to this changes because last year's Georgia team was an anomaly. It was a down year in college football. Georgia last year, does not beat 2018 Clemson. I don't think it's close because they wouldn't have scored on 2018 Clemson. They couldn't score on 2021 Clemson. They're definitely not scoring on 2018 Clemson. You know, and and so uh, to me, Ryan, that Georgia's not the team necessarily that I would hold up as the standard. Yeah. You know, uh, to me, it's more can you get to the level of 2018 Clemson, 2019 LSU, 2020 Bama. Those are more of, can you get to that level? Because you're going to face those teams more often than you're going to face 2017 Georgia. Or 20, excuse me, 2021 Georgia is the way I look at it. Uh, just because of the the offense just wasn't as dynamic. Defensively, you're not going to face a lot of defenses better than what they had. Uh, would you would you agree with that, Ryan? I mean, that, that's pretty darn good defense. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree 100%. I think for me, 
you're getting the early return for the new staff as far as what the recruiting is going to look like. Acquiring talent is not going to be an issue. And honestly, it hasn't really been an issue, for being completely honest. It, the next step, for to your point, Brian, is can this new staff develop that talent appropriately mm-hmm. and utilize them correctly? Because yeah. if you now can not only acquire talent at this level, but then also develop at the same level, then that's where you start stacking these classes and you're a national title mm-hmm. contender almost every year. Right. That's when you get to that point. Right. Yeah. Cause like, there's no one class like Sean Davis and I had this conversation one time and it was like, you know, it was like how the 2018 class really was a, a needle mover for Alabama. And as you look at it, like, eh, it was 28, but, but, to, but if it was just 2008 and the 2009 class wasn't just as good, would it have had the same impact? You know? And, and so like, to your point, it, this class is great, it's shaping up great, and it complements last year's class very well. And I think it puts Notre Dame in a position to be a per- perennial playoff team and can pull off some upsets. But they're, you know, but they're not to the point yet where they're at that level. And and I think that's the, the thing for me. And, and and that's where, you know, it's a great question to ask, but it, the fact is, we're, but we're having the conversation where it's, yeah, I could see that happening. I could see them finishing. And then he had another question, Ryan, if you want to pull up the, the second follow-up uh, super chat that he had, which which we we appreciate from ICURN. He goes, I was asking uh, – I was more asking if they could be as dominant as those teams were in defense in particular. It, that's kind of where – that's kind of where I was going with it initially because, I, again, I, I don't know if they're there yet. And, and part of me says I got to see how the corners develop. Sure. Because as much as I like the corners, there's not as many definitive, oh, yeah, that guy's going to be a star. He's going to be a stud. The, the You know, there's no – that's I mean, what I want to see. Yeah, I mean, because to your point, everyone talks about – and I just talked about it myself. You know, the fact that you have Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and Jalen Carter and all those dudes. But you also, quietly, no one talks about this, Eric Stokes went in the first round, and Tyson Campbell went the first pick in the second round. Right. You lost both those guys, and you have Kaylee Ringo. That's just right. out there, like you know what I mean. Like it's just right. going from one six-one stupid athletic corner to another six-one stupid athletic corner. Like it's just that's the turnover. I mean, you get a Darian Kendrick to come, you know, f- come in from from out from Clemson, who had a good season mm-hmm. last year. But the fact that you go from that you have recruited guys like Eric Stokes and then Tyson Campbell, you lose both those guys who go top 33 in the, in the 2021 NFL draft. And you follow it up by putting Kaylee Ringo on the field, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the difference for me right there to right. your points. And that's, that's what we need to see. And, and I'll say this right now, safety is the position on defense. I'm most concerned about now. I love the 2023 class Peyton Bowen and Adon Schuler is about as good as you're going to get. In, in my opinion, at safety in this class, there, there won't be many better, if any better. But you didn't have that in 2022, and we don't know who they're – like right now I can't tell you definitively, yes, they're definitely going to get that guy at safety. Like Peyton Woodyard is not a – I think a lot of people think he's a lock to Notre Dame. He is not. Now, does, is Notre Dame in the game with him? Absolutely they're in the game with him. It's not just because his cousin went here, but he's a high academic kid, been on campus multiple times. Of course, having his cousin here helps. Com- comes from a high reputable high school that yes. respects the yes. reputation that schools can bring. Right. Absolutely. So, but there's a lot of work there. It is not a sure thing he's being in this class. And so that's my point is until they, until they're doing that everywhere, you know, because if they just have an okay class in 24, that means you had a great 23 safety class and then a non-existent 2022 safety class. And then just an okay 2024 safety class. Mm -hmm. That to me is still the biggest question. Because what if one of the safeties gets hurt? What if, you know, I mean, there's all types of things can happen. 
And so that's the position right now that I need to see. Because to your point, I mean, what's a guy that we didn't mention? We didn't mention Lewis Seen, right? First round draft pick. You know, just a, my first round. Another yeah. high high level kid who was a, a very talented player. And then they, they had guys like Chris Smith and Latavius Brini who were just backups in their right. secondary, which are good football players, right. man. Like they're just good players. Well, yeah. I mean, the reality is, Ryan, if you just look at them as a team again, there aren't a lot of teams that could lose a players the quality of Eric Gilbert, George Pickens, and Adam Anderson and go out and win a championship. Right. With I mean, did Anderson even make it to halfway through the year? I, I it was like I four or remember. five games and he got booted. It was, it, it was something like that. Yeah, it was, it was relatively – I think he had – it might have been like five or six games. I think he had like four or five sacks okay. when he got suspended, if I remember correctly, somewhere in that ballpark. And, and I'm looking at George Pickens. He played four games. Arian Smith played four games. Like those are your two best, most explosive receivers. You know, uh, Kears Jackson was banged up all year. His numbers – and I mean, Kears Jackson had 36 catches for 500 yards in 2020. And he yep. had 16 last year because he just wasn't he wasn't healthy the whole year. He played and he stepped up and answered the bell every week, but he wasn't the same player. And they still have the depth to go out there and win a championship. And that's they, that's the point. They even had um, I don't know if you remember him, Brian, because I remember he had a really good game against Notre Dame when he was a freshman. They even have Dominic Blaylock on that team who has just right. been in, like he's been injured his entire career at this point, right. you know. And it's not often that you lose a player like that. You're just like, okay, Karis Jackson, go ahead, okay. This receiver, go Rob, ahead, Robert know, like, Beal Jr. is another one. That kid's been yes. in college forever. Did I yes. see somewhere, Ryan, that he's he's coming back this year? Who's that? Robert, Robert Beal Jr. Oh yeah, Robert Beal's in. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a sixth-year player. He yes, actually, he I don't know if you remember he this, quietly, but he's committed to Notre Dame for a while. Yes, he. Yeah. Robert Beal quietly led that team in sacks last year, um, yeah. Georgia. Quietly, <laughs> did he really? Yes. I didn't. Yeah, I knew he had seven and a half. Yeah, you're right. Six and a half sacks last year. That's he led crazy. them in sacks. Lewis Seen quietly led that team in tackles, even though everyone just wanted to talk about N'Kobe Dean and that yeah. linebacker trio as yeah, well. By yeah, one. Was, yeah, yeah, by one. Yeah, by one. Yep. There you go. But, yeah, that's the thing is you have three linebackers. One of them doesn't start. They all get drafted. I mean, you know, it just – that's the depth we talk about that Notre Dame needs to build. It's not just landing a top player in this – it's not just landing last year's linebacker class. It's following it up with – the 2023 linebacker class that could be just as good if they get Jay Nosbury. That's what Bama does. That's what Georgia does. That's what Ohio State does. That's what Clemson did. Now, Clemson does it differently because they're really good at finding some of the under-radar recruits. But the point sure. is, we're not talking about those teams finishing the top three in recruiting rankings. We're talking about those teams adding really good football players. That's the difference between Georgia and Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Texas A&M. Who signs like the one, you know, eight defensive linemen, one linebacker? How many linebackers they signed the year before? Zero. Because there's a difference between winning recruiting rankings and winning football games. And that's what Bama and Georgia and Clemson and Ohio State never have gotten enough credit for. Is they're just not piling up recruits randomly. They're building a team, which is something that Florida State has always struggled with. USC has struggled with. Uh, Texas A&M has struggled with recently, where they're getting highly ranked kids. Like AM didn't just finish 15th and 19th the years before and then all of a sudden jump up to number one. They were consistently a top 10 team. AM has not played like a top 10 football team. They have far underachieved based on their recent recruiting rankings. They went eight and four last year. Yeah. You know, yeah. but then you saw games like the Bama game where, okay, yeah, those are a bunch of really talented players, but they're not developed and they don't have the depth where if a guy struggles, they're not good enough in other places to overcome it. Things kind of all have to go their way. And that's mm -hmm. how they could beat Bama one week and then go lose to 
was it Mississippi State and LSU another week? Probably, yeah. And that's the yeah. difference. So, or, or or beat Kent State 10 to 7. Right. Whatever that game was. Right. Like, was yeah, it Colorado? Exactly. Yeah, Colorado. It was Colorado. Who's terrible? They beat 10 to 7. Uh, I thought I thought I thought they played Kent State. They did. Tough, they did. Game. It was yeah. 41-10, but if you go look at the box score, they they oh, ran I'm it away. They, yeah, they ran it away. Oh. But, you know, they lost to Arkansas, lost at yeah. home to Mississippi State, lost to Ole Miss, lost to LSU, but beat Alabama. You know, I mean, killed Missouri, blew out South Carolina and Auburn, but lose to those teams. And a lot of it's because you have you have depth. If you're dependent on a couple guys always playing great, you're going to lose games because those guys aren't always going to play great. Sure. And that's that's kind of where Notre Dame has been in the past, right? And that's going to be the different uh, the difference here uh, moving forward. Uh, mm-hmm. Is can you can you stack those classes up right right after another? I think that's going to be the key for Notre Dame yep. moving forward. I, I forgot uh, I forgot Brenton Cox was on Georgia a few years ago too, and he yeah. transferred to Florida. So they, I mean they've they've lost some dudes even to transfer. You're just like right. wow, that's crazy. What they're how right. they're recruiting at like edge and different spots like that. Pretty nuts. Uh, got a super chat from John Harlow. Thank you, John, very much. Uh, love the show and look forward to your podcast every day. Appreciate that, John. Uh, Michael Mayer and others have said how BK was never around in the summer and didn't hang with the guys. Was the Notre Dame administration wrong to let him do that? Why did they? Uh, I can't speak to that. This isn't new. This is this is something we've talked about before. Uh, when I mm-hmm. put Kelly on blast after his comments about you know, Notre Dame players, you know, LSU, I wanted to be around players that want to win and all that nonsense that he said about Notre Dame. We reported at the time that, you know, Brian Kelly, look, it wasn't just Summers. Brian Kelly would, and I've been told this by former player after former player after former, I'm talking guys that are in the NFL now, that he would greet the team back in the winter and then they wouldn't really see him again until spring ball started, till about when spring ball's about to start. And that's a couple months. They just wouldn't see him. And summers we talked about, he'd come back in town for like the one recruiting weekend because then there was a time when summer visits first started becoming a big thing that Notre Dame would like try to fit them all into like one weekend so that Brian Kelly didn't have to be there for the whole month of July and be gone. And, uh, you know, it's just stuff like that, Ryan, that uh, was was really frustrating and not new. And how can you build – how can your team trust you and feel like you're going to go to battle with them when they when you're never around? Uh, right. And – you know, so why, but to his question, why the administration let him do that? Cause he won. Sure. And he got the credit for the winning when in, yeah. this is a perfect example. So from January to August, a span of seven months, Brian Kelly would be gone for four of them. So explain to me again, how Brian Kelly gets the majority of the credit for the success of the football team. Brian Kelly gets all the success for winning and none of it for losing. That's, no, that's, I mean, that's that's Brian Kelly's MO. Yes, that's how it works. That's and I know some people don't like us talking about Brian Kelly, but this was brought up and asked. So yeah, you know, asked. And, yeah. And he yep. and I like how he had the mayor like multiple times. The interview was like, "Look, I like Coach Kelly. I have respect for Coach Kelly because it's like you know what you're about to say is like going to make him look bad." And you know, kudos to Michael for being respectful, but also kudos to Michael for being honest. You know, and it wasn't a, it wasn't asked in an attempt to take a shot at Brian Kelly. It was more of a no. what's the difference between the two, I believe, was the premise of the question. What's the difference between the two? And he was like, Coach Freeman's at every workout. He's at everything he's legally allowed to do. And I've heard from several people, parents and players like the players will come in to like, you know, or to treatments and stuff. And Freeman and some of the other coaches are in the flipping weight room working out. 
Yeah. As the players are walking into the to the goog for their whatever they're doing, they're in there getting a workout on. And you know, when you see that from your coach, your coaches, it's like, yeah, okay, this guy's in it with me. He's not just telling me to get up in the morning and go lift. He's getting up in the morning and going and lifting. And that's why these kids are going to respond to him better. They're going to have more trust in him. And when he says, do this, there's going to be less why. There's nothing wrong with players asking why. But if a player's asking why a lot, it's usually because he doesn't trust you. Mm-hmm. And, and or he just, you know, some guys, because they just don't understand. But like, and I'm not talking about why in the, in the, part of a, a install because you always want guys asking questions during install the initial install but if they're always asking why why should i do this why should i do that because they don't trust you you're just telling them to do it they don't think that you're in it right. with marcus freeman and his staff when they say these things well hey they're doing it so you know we, we, we better do it <laughs> right right and there's right. a level of accountability you know mm-hmm. like from from january to march it's like you know that you're accountable to matt bayless and some of the assistants but not all Whereas now there's always top to down accountability because not only is Matt Bayless there. Now, the other thing too is this isn't Marcus Freeman taking over for Matt Bayless and not letting people do in their jobs, right? That's not what this is. It's just he's always a presence of these players, whether it's at workouts he's allowed to be at or workouts he can't be at, that when they come back, they see he's in the office working, he's in the gym getting his own workout on, all that kind of stuff. He always wants to be seen by the players because they know, hey, we're not out here slaving while coach is on vacation. That's what people would compl- – I, I, I can't tell me times I had kids complain about this. They're out here all summer working out in the heat, and the head coach is off in so-and-so with his family. Now, there's a time and a place for that, but Marcus Freeman does that when the kids are also doing that. You know what right. I mean? Like when they're on downtime. Which is which is what it's designed for. Right. right? Like that's, that's supposed to be like an open – period of time a window for right vacations right to all type of stuff yeah. right so uh yeah that's just there's just going to be such a greater level of trust in into that one so that's where we're at yes brandon k also asked i know special teams recruiting isn't as high profile but how are we looking on kicking punting for 22 23 and 24 punting is kind of already locked up uh that's mm-hmm. uh they signed uh it's Bryce McFadden, correct? I always forget. I always want to call him Devin McFadden. For, McPherson, McPherson. McPherson, yeah. Bryce McPherson, yeah. yep. Yeah, yep. so he's the punter, and he's got yes. a pretty strong kickoff leg as well. He's Place, a long kid, man. He's yeah. Pretty, he's a pretty big kid, yeah. Place kicker is a more of a question mark. They got a commitment in the 23 class from a, a kicker uh, for a walk-on. Now, yeah. what I don't know, and I'm going to have to do some research on this, what I don't know, Ryan, is if he's kind of like a Harrison Leonard type of walk-on, Mm-hmm. Or if they were just able to land a kid that's a legitimate scholarship caliber kid, but is in a situation where he can be a walk. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I've never I'm seen the kid sure kick either. and I don't, I don't necessarily uh, feel I'm a, a great evaluator of kicking. I've seen one has him ranked somewhat high-ish, you know, like, and mm-hmm. in, in, I can't, I don't know if it's Coles or if it's Sailor. Those are the two kicking experts. Uh, I don't know which one he's in, but one of them ranks him in like the top 10 or so of place yeah. kickers. But uh, you know, so, but, that's pretty high ranking for a walk-on, sure. right? And so it leads me to believe, my opinion only here, that he understands they just don't have a scholarship for a kicker right now because Josh Bryan's still on scholarship, but he wants to be at Notre Dame and he's got a spot at Notre Dame, and so he's going to come in as a walk-on, but he's a pretty well-regarded kicker. If you're in the top 10-ish, you know, 10 to 12 of the Sailor or or Cole kicking rankings, you're a pretty good player. Sure. Now, they some of those kids aren't ranked in both. I think a lot aren't in both because it's more about which one you go to. Yeah. I'm with Sailor. I'm with Cole. 
which is fair because they're just ranking the kids they've worked out with. It's not like a biased ranking. Like they're just, these are the rankings of the kids we work with. They, they're not like out evaluating film. It's, it's a ranking of the kids that they've worked with. Sure. So it's just a, it's a different type of ranking that people need to understand. And I have a great it's, respect for both of them. They both do a great job. Isn't there one that does a ranking that's on a like a six star scale, not yeah. a five star scale? Yeah. It's so weird to me, man. Yeah. It's so weird. I'm but, I'm not the guy to ask about. But they're not. Yeah, but they're not trying to be like rivals or whatever. Sure. This is just the art there, and their goal is to help kids get to college. That's what they are trying to do. We're going to coach these kids. We're going to work with them. But it's also about giving exposure. I mean, so, Sailor and Cole both. I mean, well, Cole's son is JJ Cole, yes. who's a quarterback. He's going to Iowa State. Really good quarterback. Yep. Uh, but the thing about both of them is they really view what they do as yes, we work with kickers, but we're trying to create exposure for these kids to create more opportunities for these young men to go get college educations and get college scholarships and have a chance to continue their kicking career. So I have a great deal of respect for what both of them do. I really for do. Sure. For uh, sure. But in regards to are their rankings accurate or not, I, I don't know enough about kickers to say, but they're held in regards by people that do know that stuff. And that's, that's what I can tell you. Yep. So as far as kicker in 24, I don't think we'll see a punter kicker. I don't, I don't know the answer. It just, it depends on how confident they are in the kid they're getting in 23. But I would imagine if you can get a, a quality walk on kicker, you'll take one just about every year. I mean, you're getting a kid that can kick and he's willing to pay for his pay for his way. Then why 100%. not? Yeah. yeah. Why, why, why not? Would you not? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. All right. Here's some, here's some more Notre Dame two, one, six, four. If we get Hannafin and then get as good or better haul in 24, would you guys say that the wide receiver room is healed from all the damage from the past, the last few years, or maybe it depends on who stays, um, you know, I, Ryan, you I, want to take a shot at that one? Yeah. I was going to say if you, so if you have a four man hole potentially this year, if they're able to land Ronan Hannafin and then you go into 2024 and you have a three to four good haul, right? Not, not three to four names. Like if you get guys like Ryan Wingo and then a couple other guys that you really like, or a Micah Hudson and a couple other guys you really like, a quality class in back-to-back years on top of Tobias Merriweather, then yeah, I think that's where, I mean, obviously Brian, it always has to pan out, right? Like you have to develop it properly. Right. But if you have, if you get those seven players in back-to-back years and eight and three years talking also about Tobias Merriweather in 2022, then yeah, I think you've rebuilt it really well, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're at that point, at that level. I would say I'm probably still a guy away from I for me I want nine to feel like it's completely healthy I think nine's the minimum number that I'm comfortable with simply because like you said Ryan if you have eight and you're a three receiver offense it means you can't fill out a three deep and that's the goal with most position groups right you want to be able to go at least three deep I think the other aspect of it too is is when you can't fill out a three deep and it's a young group so I mean you're going to be talking about one junior four sophomores and three freshmen there is the thing of you better hope they all pan out. Otherwise, you don't have enough depth to necessarily do all the things you want to do because depth is not just about um, – it's not just about, Ryan, do you have enough guys to fill out on Saturday? Depth also matters because are you throwing walk-ons down there against your first-team defense all week or are you got some young guys that are still developing You know that are able to give them a test? I think that's the big thing. But th- for me to feel good about eight, Ryan, I need better than just – Micah Hudson or Wingo and some good players. They need to be, it needs to be the same. The 24 class, whatever the numbers are, minimum three needs to be the same quality top to bottom as the 23 class for me to say it's been healed. I'll feel a lot better about the numbers, but to me, 
one Merriweather four and then three next year leaves you basically just with one more guy than you have right now, you know, because you're at seven right now. It only gives you one more guy. I say the quality is better. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was about to say is how much does the quality outweigh the quantity question marks though, right? Like that's Which is why I like the group. And it's just, I just, it's like this. If I have seven really good players and 10 really good players and they're all of equal value, the odds of me getting more hits with 10 is greater than me getting more hits with seven. Because look, not everybody's going to pan out, whether it's injury, development, being away from I mean, there's all types of reason kids don't pan out uh some kids just going to get frustrated because he's not playing he's going to transfer potentially i mean i'm just i'm just thinking of all the different things that could happen right so i want to be at nine that's why nine is where i'm comfortable i mean i honestly if i'm putting an 85 man scholarship together i'm probably gonna have 10 receivers because receivers can also play special teams i mean there's other things they can do right yep. so 10 is where i'm comfortable with depending on the makeup of that 10 like i don't want 10 guys that are like you know, I wouldn't love the fact that eight of them are freshmen and sophomores, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get to the question of, you know, have you healed it? I think, I do think you need four next year, ideally, or if you can get a transfer that maybe has a couple years of eligibility left, then I'd be more comfortable taking only three next year. So that's something I'd be open to, or, you know, Hey, get a grad transfer because we really like where we're at as a staff uh, for 2025. We think we get another really good three trio next year as well. So we'll have a grad transfer to provide some depth uh, and that kind of thing. I mean, there, there's different options now, uh-huh. but uh, you know, I, I still would like to see a little bit more, but if it's the quality though, Ryan, like you talked about, if it's, if it's yeah. like Wingo and, 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 and Hudson, like Hudson, one of them, yeah. but you also yeah. add um, a Milan Graham, you also add yeah. a Bredel Richardson and Emmett Mosley. Right. Then yeah. I feel a lot better about that eight panning out than the current group of seven panning out because there's two things. Number one, not all the players in the current roster are that high level of player. And two, you got two of the veterans coming off major injuries. That also, I mean, if, if Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins weren't coming off injuries, I'm not as concerned about the receiver depth. You know, like it's not great, but you're like, eh, as long as you don't lose some more guys, but you got two guys that are already injured. And coming off of it and, and uncertain right. of just how they're going to be this year. Like, I think Avery Davis is going to have a really good year if he's healthy. I don't know that he's going to be fully, like, fully healthy. I, I, I don't know. It's fair. And, and I'm very concerned about Joe Wilkins' ability to be healthy to provide depth. But if everybody else stays healthy, they'll still end up being okay. You almost started talking about 2025 recruiting, man. You almost I let know. it slip. You're it was really only hypothetical. It, it was only hypothetical. Really, oh, I'm so Brian's not. so excited about 2025 so recruiting not. already. Corey Dickerson with a question. Does Notre Dame have any interest in Chris Parson, the quarterback decommit from Florida State? They do not. They do not. They do not. Sean Kane with a question. Uh, the staff has no fear. I guess more of a comment. This is about Ben Minich. Uh, yeah. The staff has no fear. If there was uh, other safeties they wanted, then they wouldn't go after them. Obviously, they like this kid. And, and look, I, I think they do like the kid. Yeah, uh, There's no question. And we've been told that. But I also don't think – like. Because I do trust this staff more, and because I personally like this staff more, doesn't and 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 there's a difference between giving them the benefit of the doubt and then just assuming they're always right. Like this staff is going to make evaluation mistakes. Do you know who what other staffs make evaluation mistakes? Ohio State's, Georgia's, Clemson's, Alabama's. Everybody makes evaluation mistakes. So I'm I'm not going to sit there and be like, well, they say he's great, so I think he's great. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but we also have to still say like, you know, that yeah, they do like the kid, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're right in sure. theory. I think we hope they're right. 
And I think there's enough that we saw on that film, Ryan, to say, yeah, I can see what I can see. If if he'd had a really good camp performance based on that film, then I'm going to be more comfortable with that. I just right. didn't see that camp performance, so I can't speak to that. I can only go off the film. But that film, if he was as good at camp as they said he is, I understand it. I, I do, which is why I'm going to be open to, okay, I get it. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it based on what I know, but I get it. And then be an open what it is in the fall. But if if the fall film looks a lot like the junior film, then I'm like, you know, may, may, maybe you maybe you should have made a run at King Mac or somebody like that, right? Agree. Some of those players. Agree. I'm gonna pull this one up real quick, Brian. Mm-hmm. Irish Shy Town said, Ron, no, which players are most excited about the 2020 class? I'm gonna say this, Irish Shy Town. The only person I'm gonna mention here is Bryce J. Underwood because it'll be the third straight class that Michigan does not get a uh, the star quarterback yes. from Michigan. So that's I what hope I'm that's true. Right now, okay. I hope he comes to Notre Dame because he's a stud already. Yeah, sure uh, is. But as long as it's not Michigan, I'll feel even better about. Him. Would that be great if they don't get back to back to back five star quarterbacks? Oh my in gosh, the state of be, Michigan, It'd be, be wonderful. Be wonderful. <laughs> we are happily independent. I love this name, by the way. First of all, he's got the Yuhu avatar, which I think is classic and then that we are happily independent and then he has it but it's independent with independence is, is you who still a thing I uh, yeah i was actually at the time. store last night doing shop uh, gro- some grocery shop well yesterday when the Jaden great house stuff broke i was at the grocery store yeah and my wife wanted me because she's just really tired and hasn't been feeling great so she was i was trying to find these immunity drinks for her and they didn't have any mm-hmm. but i went to the final section where i knew there were some drinks it was like you know like juices and stuff and they saw two cases of yoohoo's because they were in the cans wow. Wow. So I was like, wow, that's still a thing, huh? That's pretty cool. I had no idea, man. Yeah, I went through a Yoohoo phase when I was coaching the Christopher Newport. It was mm-hmm. kind of weird. I'll get in these w- weird chocolate milk phases, and I Yoohoo's love- not chocolate milk. But Wawa yeah. Wah- chocolate milk is the goats. Yeah. Best of all time. Best of we, all time. We've been, uh, I've been doing the True Moo. That's what they sell. That's Meyer. good, too. That's really that's good. good. Really oh, that's good. rich, man. That's yeah. rich. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a lot of chocolate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put them in my. I get these like little Notre Dame cups. I got to put oh, them in yeah. there. I can't have like a normal size cup. Like I can't put chocolate milk in this. It oh, is. Yeah. I get through halfway. This is really hey, strong. You need, you need a little water on the side for that one. Yeah, that's a lot of chocolate. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> got a question from Blaine Tiller. Blaine, thank you. And Tommy System, do you think Tyler Buckner's quarterback there would be more a zone player RPO and why? Uh, I think uh, both. I mean, Yes. Both? Yeah, I was going to say both. Like, I, I think you definitely want the run action off of almost everything, right? Because the thing about it is, even if it's a true inside zone, I still want Tyler to carry out the fake because that still makes that that mm-hmm. overhang defender say, like, "Hey, I need to freeze here for a second, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't just tuck inside and get you that extra player in the box all of a sudden." So, I think there's definitely going to be more zone zone reads out of the zone. I think there's going to be more power reads at times. I think they're going to pick and choose their spots with that. And there's definitely going to be RPO. And the RPO action, like, hey, if I'm not giving it, maybe I'm holding it, take it off and run. Maybe there's just a quick glance route or whatever it might be. Or maybe I'm going to pull Maybe I'm going to pull the whole read out and then you just kind of dump the ball out off to like a Chris Tyree when he had that 50-something yard touchdown against, what was that, Toledo or whatever that was, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of that action because you have to use – Blaine, even if you're not true, this is the way I look at it. Even if a play is a design zone where you're definitely handing the football off, you still have to use Tyler Buckner's athleticism. And that sounds weird because he's not carrying the football, but just the threat of him opens so many things up. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be more zone read. I think there's going to be a lot of true zone. And I think there's going to be a lot of RPO uh, designations out of of Mm -hmm. the scheme as well. 
Very good stuff, Ryan. John Banco asks, give me a past receiver that Ronan Hannafin compares to. So a past Notre, Notre Dame receiver. A Notre Dame receiver. I don't know if I have a great one. I keep going back to Alec Pierce. We talked about that one out, mm-hmm. uh, out of Cincinnati this year, those drafted in the second round. I think he's a really good football player. He's got the vertical elements. He's got a big catch radius. He's fast. I, I mean, there's been a p- plenty of Notre Dame players that have big frames and are fast. I just don't know if there's anybody that like I point to and say, like, that guy reminds me a lot yeah. of Ronan Hannafin. Like, I just don't know. Maybe Boykin. I, I, I have guess. one. I don't know. I okay. have one. Not as tall. Okay. But athletically similar, I think that Ronan Hannafin to me is a taller, faster version of DeVars Daniels. DeVars was okay. smooth. He, yeah. you know, he was he was fluid. He caught the ball extremely well. I think just overall style of play. DeVars is more of a vertical player as well. Uh, that was a good route runner. I'd say that that's probably stylistically the player that he reminds me most of stylistically. The 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 thing is. But Ronan has got a is much bigger than DeVars was. DeVars was like 6'1", 6'1 and a half, like 185, 190. Ronan's six yeah. three, two oh five. Right. You know, and, and so that to me is is the is the big difference. I mean, I I'll, I'm trying to look DeVars up right now and see what his listed size is right now for yeah, he's listed right now for his CFL team at six one two oh three. So Ronan Hannafin's bigger right now than DeVaris is, is like a almost 30 year old professional football player. That's crazy. But the style of play is what I think the comparison is, Ryan. So imagine if DeVaris yeah. Daniels was two inches taller and about, you know, when it's all said and done, 10 pounds heavier and, and a little bit more head on straight, you know, but just football wise, uh, very similar. Cause I thought DeVaris caught the ball very well. I mean, and I thought he tracked the ball well. I thought DeVaris. If he does, he's another guy. If he doesn't get himself in trouble at Notre Dame, he was on the verge of really breaking out. I mean, he would have been the guy that broke out 2014, not Will Fuller. I mean, he was supposed to be their their top guy. I mean, you look at what he did in 2013, you know, he he was really starting to merge. I mean, him and Tommy Reese went off a little bit in that Purdue game, if you remember correctly, in, in 2013. But, you know, TJ had 1,000 yards that year, but DeVaris had 49 catches for 745 yards and seven touchdowns. Yeah, you know, and and at times he was, I mean, he, he had blew up Purdue. He had a big game against BYU. He was their best receiver when they played at Stanford in two thousand and thirteen in a loss. He was a really good football player. He just, you know, he just couldn't. Uh, and and you know, a lot of it came late. He had some really imp- impressive plays in the championship game against Alabama. Too, he had six catches yeah. for one hundred fifteen yards. Now, again, some of those yards came in garbage time, right? Sure. But hit some really impressive plays in that game. So uh, that's how I see Ronan. Like stylistically, I think is the best. No, if I had to fit a Notre Dame comp to fit John's question, I'd say his body is is a is closer to Michael Floyd than it is to Devaris. Sure. Style of play is not like my, Michael was a brute. I mean, he was just he a was. <laughs> he he was a brute. Uh, that's that's was like, not he was like Jaden Greathouse. Jaden yeah. Greathouse is a physical. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Uh, Ronan is more smooth and explosive and fluid, and I think that fits DeVaris' skill set really well. And I think that's part – this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I got to think that's part of the reason Tommy Reese likes him because sure. Tommy liked throwing to that type of guy. I mean, TJ Jones and Tavares Daniels were definitely favorites of Tommy Reese as a quarterback, mm-hmm. and I think Ronan fits a lot of those skill sets. So so, so good sure. questions. If I, had to, if I had to fit it, DeVaris would be my pick. 
Brian, I'm going to pull this one back up because we went so much on the Yoohoo. Apparently, we forgot to answer mm-hmm. the question. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Start getting me talking about chocolate milk, and I just lose all focus of what we're supposed to be talking about. My bad. So you want to go ahead and answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. So the question was, Brian, Ryan, could we could we play Ronan both ways? It's just, look, I mean, one, from a practice implication perspective, it's just a lot trying to figure out how you're going to, you know, practice at Rover and then you're going to flip over to wide receiver. And I really, for Ronan with the athleticism he has, I really want him focusing on one position, right? Because right? I think that's where his, his game is going to get unlocked. I get the premise. I completely accept it. I understand why your mind goes there because I think he could be an impact player at both spots, but I think you're going to limit the impact if you make him play multiple spots because it's just going to be too much, man. Like that's a mm-hmm. lot. It's a lot right. to handle. I would say if he were to come to Notre Dame and let's say by his junior or senior year, could I see a thing where maybe they want to get him in a in a in a nickel package sure. where they're just going to let him run and just cover someone? Sure, maybe. Uh, but like Ryan said, my focus is on him developing the best player he can be. Look, there's a reason guys like Charles Woodson are so rare and freaky. Mm-hmm. And 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 it takes a, an elite I mean, let's be honest, Charles Woodson was a generational player. You just don't see that very often. And so I, I don't think um, – I just don't think that is necessarily something I think about. I want him developing the thing that they're asking to ask him to do. And then if comes a point in time where he wants to move to defense and there's a spot there, okay, then you coach him up there, then maybe he could get a couple catches over there. But I think it's easier for a defensive player to kind of learn three routes and catch the ball and be athletic than it is for an offensive player to go play defense because there's so much more. I have to know what everybody's doing around me involved in defense. Where a receiver say, "Hey man, you got a hitch route right here. You got a go route right here." And as long as he knows how to run the hitch route or the go route, he doesn't necessarily have to know what everybody else is doing. You always want receivers to know, or even if he only knows what the other receiver next to him is doing, that's enough. You know, where you can get mm-hmm. by in a in a giving him 15 snaps a game type of role. It's harder to take an offensive player to defense. You know, and that's just kind of how I feel about it. So that's why you see guys like Charles Woodson that play a little bit of offense, right? right? Or Devin Hester that plays a little bit of offense. Champ Bailey did that in college too. Exactly. Um, Mike Doss that was with Ohio Ohio State. State. He also did that a little bit too, right? It's like you can see those guys that are mainly defensive players that are going to play a little bit of specialized snaps offensively. You don't usually see full offensive guys that also go play corner. And look what happened when Utah had to put their running back out at corner against Ohio State in the bowl game. The the only team, the only guy I can remember doing it really well was, you remember when Troy Brown for the Patriots did it the one year where he had to start a corner and he actually, he had like three interceptions. That was so weird. Didn't he still have like an 80 number? It was was so weird. He was number 80 playing corner. Really weird. Yeah. Just, yeah, it, it just didn't. Yeah, it was weird, but he got the job done. Got the job done. There's been a couple college players, but usually when a guy goes from offense to defense, it's because they've been ravaged by injuries and they just have to throw somebody out there. And it's not an ideal situation. Irish for Life asks, Hey, I hope, by the way, Irish for Life, I hope you're doing better, man. I know it's been a, a rough month for you, buddy, but I hope you're feeling a lot better. Uh, he says, Who are the most favorable options for offensive line in 2024? Favorable equal targets they want that they have the best chance to get. I know it's early, Ryan, but there's at least a couple yeah. guys on the board that you can talk about. Yeah, I mean, so Notre Dame still has four guys on the board. I, I think that that's going to expand at some point. But right now, Peter Jones, I would say, is the guy that has the clearest interest in Notre Dame. He's out of Malvern Prep in Pennsylvania, 6'6", 295. 
really talented player. I think that he's a good mover. He's smooth. He has strength profile. I think he could fit either as a right tackle or inside a guard potentially. I think the guy that has the most upside of the four that have been offered is Gerby Lambert, who's out of Massachusetts. He plays at the same high school as Bubakar Traore right now, and he is 6'7", 280 pounds in athleticism, length, still figuring it out, obviously. He's coming off his sophomore year, but like there is massive upside with the Gerby Lambert. They have also offered Josiah Thompson, excuse me, out of South Carolina, who is a similar size to Gerby. He's 6'7", 285 pounds. Another kid that has a lot of tools, just there's a little bit of raw in this team, right? And he's a little bit more of a Eric Flowers style offensive tackle than a Gerby Lambert, who's a little more of an athletic type, right? So last guy is Kyle Altooner, who is out of Maryland's good counsel. He is a, he's a smaller guy. He's definitely the interior offensive lineman of the group, at least on the board right now, 6'3", 285 pounds. He is probably the most technically sound player on the board right now, though, because he plays extremely hard he has good hands he's physical good stuff he's just more of the interior player than the tackle types that they have on the board otherwise so those are a few of the guys uh ian moore is another guy that has not been offered yet but is going to be at the barbecue i i put that out on the on the board earlier today he's gonna he's an in-state kid in in um, the state of indiana who is going to be at the barbecue he's a he's number 81 player in the class and number 89 player in the class on two different platforms 6'6", 295, another guy that's probably more of a right tackle guard type of player who's not been offered by Notre Dame yet, but you should keep your eyes on him as he, you know, has obviously keeping in touch with the Notre Dame staff right now. I think the reason he doesn't have an offer is because they got to make sure they want him in the class first because when they offer it, his recruitment won't last very long. Agree. Yeah. Uh, Brian J. Irish, 45 days until Notre Dame and Ohio State. Man, it's got by – it feels like just yesterday we're like, it's 100 days, and now, man, it's getting quick. Uh, Brian, when does fall camp start? August 5th is the first day of fall camp. So that's when when fall – so 40, uh, 45 days from now, right? Is that what he's saying? It'll be August 5th, the day after Jaden Osbury commits. So 45 days to the first game, which is September 3rd, but fall camp is now 16 days away. Hopefully, Jaden gives us something yep. to celebrate going yep. into the fall camp. Yep. So, 16 days away, 15 days from when Jaden Osbury makes his commitment uh, to either Notre Dame, Michigan, Texas AM, Auburn, or LSU. I just had to say that. Okay. Here, here's another question. We're happily independent. Brian and Ryan with Ronan playing both offense and defense. Do we recruit him for one side of the ball or do we let him pick a spot? And is there a chance we let him play both ways like USC did in 16? So we answered the latter part, but the mm-hmm. first part, they kind of did that. Like they were, they recruited him as an athlete early on, but I think they, they liked him on defense because big reason for it is because the guy that first fell in love with Ronan Anifin was Marcus Freeman. Sure. <laughs> and he's a defensive guy, just like I always lean towards, you know, hey, let's put them on offense. But uh, they Ronan, Ronan's comfortable playing both, but there was a time when the conversation was, where do you prefer? And he prefers offense. And right. so they kind of did do that, actually. So uh, good question, and that's kind of how the, the, the it played out. Irish Chi-Town, Brian, who will return kicks and punts in 2022? I think as of right now, it's going to be Chris Tyree's kick returner. And if I had to bet, I would actually probably put my money on Brandon Joseph as the punt returner. I was going to say that too. Yeah. Just seeing what I uh, what I did in person, I I th- I think that Brandon Joseph's going to do a pretty good job as a punt returner too mm-hmm. if he's chosen for that. And he, he I mean, he's got really sure hands. I'm not worried about him being able to you know handle that duty and 
He's a pretty, mm. pretty silky kid. So I agree with you on that one. Why? Thank you. I would say this. If J- if Jadarian Price didn't get hurt, I could have seen a scenario in which he was also returning kicks. Agree. Meaning like if Chris Tyrese, you're starting running back and you're looking for a way to get Jadarian more touches, that would be a way to do it. Uh, but obviously that's not going to happen now. But I, I, what's going to be interesting is if Chris Tyree is your lead back and he's getting 15 touches a game, do you leave him back there? And I think part of it's going to depend on how good your defense is. Because if your defense isn't giving up a lot of scores, then you know it's only two or three extra maybe hits a game. Um, and and I think part of it might be is like if you're playing a team where they just kick it out of bounds all the time, you know maybe you put someone else back there for that. But if you're having a team that maybe isn't putting it out of bounds, then maybe that might be a game. So it's going to be interesting to see how Brian Mason handles the kick return game this year. I, th- I think they should. I think they should put Blake Fisher back that there, back there. I want to see it just one play, just one time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, uh, Brian, I just saw a highlight. I, I meant to send it to you of Vita Vea playing running back in high school. Oh, my and goodness. It was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life. Yikes. Wow. Okay. He was, hitting, he was hitting jump cuts and like running by defensive backs. It was, it was silly. It was That's silly interesting. Stuff. Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. Is Jaden Osbury a Devin Bush comp or Ryan Shazir comp? Or who do you think is the best comp? Brian, Ryan, I know you mentioned Devin Bush yesterday. Yeah, but of those two, just kind of how do you think the fit, uh, how the comp is with those two guys, and is Devin Bush your your top comp for him? Yeah, out of those two, especially, I, I like Devin Bush because I think their body types are a lot more similar. Shazier was a little bit longer than both those guys. I think the comp comes from the fact that Shazier was a silly athlete, man. Like straight line speed, it was just crazy. I mean, that kid ran in like the four fours. He was a nuts nuts athlete, just like Devin Bush was. So, I, I think that from a body type perspective, I would definitely lean towards Devin Bush because I you know Devin Bush is like 5'11 6'8 225 230 pounds and I think that mm-hmm. eventually Jaden Osbury can be similar to that I think Jaden's a little bit taller than him but you know also he, I think that he could hold 225 pounds pretty easily yeah we had a comment from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop I can't wait for Micah Bell to be the kick returner and punt returner his freshman year I, I mean it could happen it yeah could happen. My, my only concern is he's thin sure but yeah He's he's pretty dynamic, but there's there's a couple kids in this class that I can that see, class. like Peyton Bowen. Yeah, I was going to say Peyton. Yeah, yep. yep. He's a guy that I would I wouldn't mind seeing back there. I know he doesn't do it in high school, but a guy that I think would actually be a decent punt returner. And I usually don't say this about guys that long. Ronan Hanneman. I was going to strong. Well, he did can make his, guys miss. His first highlight on his highlight was tape it, though is him was taking a, a punt. Yeah, I think that's the only one he did. Yes, but he can make guys miss. He's strong. He's elusive. He could be a guy, and he's got great hands. You know, sure. uh, another guy that I could see being a punt returner if the focus is more on catching the ball is Jaden Greathouse. Sure, sure. Because remember when Notre Dame in, in 2011 put Michael Floyd back as the punt returner because mm-hmm. he's so strong. It's like yeah. you got to make that first guy miss, and he does. Yes, yeah. and he's yeah. a strong guy. I mean, so there's a lot, and then of course, I mean, obviously Michael Bell. Uh, I, you know, Jaden think... Lamar could be a guy that could be a punt returner, in my opinion. I don't think he'd be my first pick, but I could even see Braylon James returning yeah. kicks. Like he could return kicks. I just sure. I get nervous about the tall guy getting undercut. Sure. But to your point, I mean, he's Stats, got what man. two kick returns for touchdowns in high school yeah. last year. Yeah. So I mean, there, there's a lot of that. Christian Gray is a punt, potential punt returner. He played sure. a lot of receiver. Uh, again, not so much kick returner, but punt returner. But Peyton Bones a guy that I think could do both. 
he's a really explosive athlete. And I mean, look, if Peyton Bowen decided to, let's say Notre Dame got Ben Minich and all of a sudden Caleb Downs wanted to commit to Notre Dame, right? Let's just, mm-hmm. uh, and Peyton Bowen was like, you know what? I want to play receiver. Like, sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he could play both ways. I think his, I think his upside is better on defense. I, I'm not saying that like he's an elite player. And if he just wanted to do that now, I wouldn't be as in love with it. But if they had someone as good as him, Caleb Downs is, uh, then I would be okay with it. But just the point is, is that, you know, there's ways to get him the football and I would want to find ways to get Peyton Bowen is a guy that I could see as a junior or senior in college as being a guy that you, that you have sort of a Charles Woodson this role. If the need is there, you know sure. what I mean? Like, let's yeah. say there's a couple injuries at the position and you need someone that can be a playmaker. I could see that. Yep. I could see that. He, he, I mean, he's that kind of athlete in my opinion. The the 2023 class has a lot of kids that I just want to get the football in their hands. Because <laughs> it's, it's go, and you know? Ryan's got an article that's going to come out uh, over the next couple of days talking about this, just the speed that that class brings to the table. And it, it, that's the thing that's the, the biggest difference between this class and, and really any Notre Dame class. And there's been years where they've landed really good receivers, but not ones that can kind of run like this group can run if they get run in Hannafin. There's been years they've landed really good secondary classes, but not ones that can run like this group can run. I mean, you're talking about Peyton Bowen's run a 4-3-8. Micah Bell ran a 4-4-0 and a 4-4-2. Or excuse me, not Micah Bell. Christian Gray ran a 4-4-0 and a 4-4-2 at Ohio State's camp last summer. And he's the third third fastest DB. I mean, you know, like Drake, Drake, did you see the post? on the board today about somebody who said the reason. Oh yes. The yeah, about yeah. on three claim the reason they dropped Drake Bowen because they have questions about his athleticism and speed. Him and Osbury, yeah. Yeah. What? There's a yes. lot of things you could say about Jay Nosberg, size, whatever, same with Drake Bowen. Athleticism and speed, like what are we doing here? Like, they want me at the top of my lists. No. Yeah, no, no that's an absurd thing to say. But whatever. But this group can flat out I mean Keon Keeley is an explosive athlete for the defensive line. I mean this class is just filled with dudes that can run, mm-hmm. you know, like Jay Lamar is one of the slowest guys in the class. He ran an electronic four, five, three this summer. That's moving electronically. Yep. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, like it's, it's this, this group can run, man. There's and, a lot of if, athleticism. If Notre Dame brings in Jeremiah Love as well. Oh gosh. It's, that kid's got to be around a four, four high yeah. somewhere in that ballpark. Oh yeah. He can, he can scoot. Oh, yeah. His 40 time will most likely be very similar to CJ Procise and Josh Adams, who are both like 445 to 448 guys. Yeah. Josh Adams ran a 448 despite the foot injury he had. <laughs> it's crazy. You man. know, like he probably's mid to low 44s if he's healthy. Now, he sure. had not a lot of elusiveness, but straight line speed wise, boy. And that's why I compare Love better to Procise than Adams. That's fair. Is that I, I think, I think, I think Love probably is a little bit more explosive than CJ was. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, he was a four four eight guy. I believe. I think yeah. he's he's in between Josh when Josh was healthy and Procise. The reason I think the style fits more Procise is because Procise was a really athletic. Procise was more athletic than he was a burner. I mean, four four eight's fast for a kid his size, sure. but it's not like a burner. Josh Adams was a four four eight while dealing with a foot injury. You know what I mean? Like Crazy. he was yep. explosive, but I think. Jeremiah is more elusive, more fluid, more twitchy than Josh was. Josh was just fast, Agreed. you know, uh, and, and CJ was athletic. 
And there's there's a difference between the two. I don't know how you feel about that comp, but that's why I feel about I like it. Yeah, I, I agree with it. I, I think that what like, I mean, the first run that you see on Jeremiah Love's highlight tape is it's not the fact that he breaks into the open and you see the tremendous speed. He like literally someone takes a good angle on him and he just quick yeah. elusiveness too yeah. for a high cut kid, which is that's what I love about Micah Bell's first highlight. It wasn't just yeah. the out it's it was that cut that he made. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this. It's different. Yeah, it's different. I like this. IC05, hey guys, we have been hearing a lot of good things about Tobias Merriweather and has a chance to start. How is Colsey handling this? Is he progressing? Now, this is probably my fault. I made a comment last week where I said it wouldn't shock me if by the end of the season Tobias is starting. I probably shouldn't have said that because I just I know how that's going to get taken. My point was is that he's incredibly talented and he's having a good summer. And that put even more on it. it that comment was more about just how good Tobias is and how good he's performed. And I didn't do what I should have done, which is, but this is all without pads on, right? Like, let's see how it is when the pads are on. So I, you know, that, that was, that was kind of on me. I'll take, I'll, I'll own that one. But as far as Deion Coles, you had another question uh, from Tristram West, a question from a Georgia fan about Coles. He's an Athens, Georgia kid. I know it was best for him not to go to Georgia, but how is he developing and will he start this season? I think when I said what I said about Colsey, a lot of people who are down on, or when I said what I said about Merriweather, a lot of people that are down on Colsey took that as Dion's not doing well. And that wasn't at all where my comment was coming from. My comment was just more of a excitement about how well Dion Colsey looks this summer with no pads on and how, or excuse me, Tobias Merriweather. And, and so it was an excitement over Tobias. It's not that Dion's not playing well, because the reality is if Tobias is too good not to play, there's a also a conversation of Dion being that good, and then they're on the field together. I mean, Tobias, as we've said, can play field or boundary. Dion's more of a pure boundary guy. You know, he did play some last year, caught four passes last year, late in the season, had a really nice post catch against Georgia Tech for 30 yards. Uh, you know, it, it, Dion's a good football player, and for all the like bashing he took in the spring game, which I, I don't understand, if the quarter, if Drew Pine's at all accurate, he has two touchdowns in the game. Remember yeah. the double movie he was wide open for that 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 the uh, what if Drew didn't throw it or I forget what happened. Yeah, uh, yeah Drew threw a hitch I think, and then Dion was oh, wide yeah, open. Oh yeah, the miscommunication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then there was the in cut near the goal line where Drew threw it into the ground. Dion's open. He catches it. He's right there at the goal line. It's a touchdown. He's like at the uh-huh. one yard line. I think is what it was. My my wife was freaking out on that miscommunication. He's like, how, he's like, the, she's like, the corners, the corners squatting on that. Why would you throw it outside? I'm like, did you, did you like? I love this woman so much. <laughs> I proposed again. My I've never. I know we're already married, but can we have another ceremony like right here in the stadium? Like, yeah. Why would he throw? Why would he throw it deep? Yeah. The corner was squatting. Yeah. Like, I don't have know. Ever, have I ever told you that story? Of the day that I knew I was going to marry Angela when we were in Notre Dame Stadium. I think you did. We, yeah, we were yeah, still dating at the time, and it was the Duke game in 07, and it was miserable season, miserable game. It was wet. Jimmy Clawson throws a touchdown pass late, and I look over her, and I'm like, you know, hey, she's probably miserable. She didn't love football, I didn't think anyway. Uh-huh. And uh, I looked at her, I was like, hey, you know, they're going to win. You're ready to go. And she looks at me like, what are you, nuts? There's still five minutes left in the game. And I was like, <laughs> <"Good marriage is laughs> you know, it was great. It was great. I did. I did. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, that's a that's a great story. 
Jason Rose, which Notre Dame, this is a great question, Ryan, which Notre Dame team from 2018 to 2021 has been the most complete? I'm actually, I think the answer to that is pretty easy. Think so? But I want to rank them. Oh, it's 18. It's far, yeah, eight because 18 had the same problem that every other team had, quarterback. Uh-huh. They, had a, they had a good offensive line. You had Boykin and, and uh, Boykin and Claypool outside. Fink inside had a really good 17 season. You had Alizé had a decent season. Uh, you, running back, you were you were really good, especially once Dex came back. You know he mm-hmm. he had almost a thousand yard year despite missing four games. You had a great defense that year. Uh-huh. Uh, so I I would definitely go with 18 being the most complete. Okay. And I and I think that was Ian Book's best season too. In my opinion, Ian was really good for most of 2018. He just didn't play well in the, the playoff game, but he didn't ever play well in those in those moments. But he, Ian completed about 60 70 percent of his passes going into the playoff game, yeah. and was averaging over 300 passing yards per game going into the playoff game. So 18 is by far of that of is the most the, not only the best team but the most complete team. Mm-hmm. Now the bigger question for me, Ryan. I, well, first of all, you can answer it differently if you think someone else was. Uh-huh. But what would be interesting is is ranking them one to four as far as being most complete. That would be a very interesting conversation for me. I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying to reach back into the memory bank on 2019 and 2020 for a 19 so was the year they went 11 yeah. and two, lost to Georgia yep. and Michigan. Yep. And then uh, bowl 2020 game. was Liam Eikenberg's senior right? year. Right. That was like the COVID Becker. year where they yeah. played in the ACC, beat Clemson, lost in the title game. And then, of course, last year's team to me was the bottom of the list. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. going to say that they were number four. And if we've established that 2018 was number one, I was just trying to think in my head what 2019 and 2020, the difference Here, there. Here's, here's the thing. I think the 2020 team had much better leadership, Uh huh. which is why you didn't see the ups and downs of the 2019 team. But the 2019 team, when they were on, was a much better team. The 2020 team, in my opinion, does not go into Athens and take Georgia down to the wire. I just, I, I don't think that they would have. Okay. Uh, but they, they benefited from a really soft schedule, if we're being honest. I mean, after Clemson, and you played them without Trevor, Tyler Davis, James Scalsey, Mike Jones, we've had this conversation. You know, after them, your next toughest game was like eight and four North Carolina. After that, it was a pair of six and six teams in BC and Pitt six and five teams in BC and Pitt. It was not a very soft schedule. 19 wasn't a very brutal schedule either, but you had some decent teams in there. Virginia was a good team that year with Bryce Perkins. Obviously Georgia went 12 and two that year and you should have beat them. You outplayed them for, you know, 55 minutes of that game. The Michigan game, I think taints how good that team was at times that year. I think Ian book was another problem that years. He had some really great games in 19, but he had some brutal games in 19 too. Sure. And we've talked sure. about this. He threw 35 touchdowns, but like 23 of them came in like five games. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, but comparing it to 20, that's what makes it tough. Cause I would argue that the 20 team was more complete, Ryan. It just wasn't mm-hmm. as talented. It's fair. Cause the 19 team had, had Aguara, Kareem, Dalen Hayes, and Ogandiji. You had Chase Claypool still on that team. You know, we're mm-hmm. in 20, you're trying to, you're trying to beat Alabama with Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley. Right. And, 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 and in 19, because in, in 20, Kevin Austin got hurt. Brady yeah. Lindsay got hurt. I mean, you were really banged up. You were, you know, running back, you had Kyron Williams. But then after that, you had Chris Tyree. You had nobody really after that, you know, because of all the injuries, you know, so it's like 2019 was similar to that, uh, you know, but once Tony Jones came back, he was pretty good. He averaged almost a full yard per carry more in 2019 than Kyron Williams did in 2020 or 2021. 
Yeah. So uh, I think that 19 team, I would probably go with next because I think the talent was so, you know, better. I'd probably go with them next as far as the best team. But mm-hmm. if we're going to answer the question, Ryan, I think you'd have to lean towards 2020 as far as being a complete team. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lead towards 2020 automatically because I'm still trying to get 2019 Michigan out of my mind. So yeah. So that game sours it, man. It, it really sours does. it. it really such does. a, and not that they lost, but they lost in such disgusting fashion. Just that was compete. that with the Miami game of a couple years ago. Like those are the games where I'm just like, yeah. I need to wipe them out of the memory yep. bank. Like I do not want to see those ever again yep. in my life. You know, absolutely. Like, I, I don't want, I don't want to see Trajan band bandy. Yeah, intercept the inter, you know, pick six against Miami. And I don't want to see who was the running back that ran over Notre Dame that game. Uh, it, it was um, the Haskins, right? Wasn't it Hassan Haskins? I think so. Had a yeah. really good game against them. I'm yeah. just like, oh my God, they couldn't tackle that kid. That yeah. Day. And they were out playing him early. And then you have the blocked, you have the blocked uh, punt that the mistake that they had. It's just like, what are you doing? Yep. It was yep. so yep. bad. It was a bad game, man. It was so bad. Bad, bad. Game. So bad. It really was. Let's see here. We have a question from Connor O'Doherty. Uh, where would you guys rank this receiving class nationally when all of a sudden is done? Assuming uh, teams fell out like guys think. If we land, if Notre Dame landed Ronan Hannafin. Oh, so we're talking about 2023 recruiting. 2023 okay. class. Yeah, I thought we were talking about the 2022 season. The, the team. How um, would? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a much different conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. How would you say this class is going to rank? I have a I have a strong opinion on this. I want to give you a chance to kind of yeah speak to that first. If, I mean, if, if everybody feels out like we think, yeah, and Notre Dame gets Ronan Hannafin, where do they rank? I mean, the only team that I think is like head and shoulders above is Ohio State, right? Like, I mean that that recruiting class is just silly yeah. with Ennis and Carnell Tate and the Rogers kid, well, both, both Rogers, Rogers. Kid. Yeah, <laughs> both exactly. Rogers kid. No, because nobody Bryce, talks but... about Bryce and Rogers, and I'm like that kid yeah. can play. Yeah, he's sure. a good football player. Yeah, there's no doubt. So yeah. that's the only that's the only class where I'm like slam dunk. Like Notre Dame's just not going to get there, right? Like yeah. we're just not going to. But I mean, top three to four class. Like, is that unrealistic? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's possible. I think yeah. it really is with that four man hall if they get Ronan Hamilton. Yeah, there's a couple teams that might have a chance to jump if LSU gets Shelton Sam- Sampson on top of Jalen Brown. Yeah, yeah right, right. Then right. I want to see who their third guy is. You sure. know. They'd be in the conversation. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll see who Alabama finishes with, you know, if they're able to land some guys. It, there's not going to be a lot of teams, in my opinion, that are going to have a chance to have – based on our rankings, they're going to have a better chance. I would say Ohio State for sure right now on the floor mm-hmm. has the better sure. class. The floor. I, I, w- I think we could get into a bigger debate and for just, just going to talk ceiling. But even then, I'd still probably give the edge to Ohio State. Even the, even then, but it would be a much closer conversation. Um, but just because I think their fourth guy probably has a higher ceiling than Notre Dame's fourth guy is what I would what I would say. It's fair. But you know, LSU's one. Uh, Miami Miami could have had a chance if they would have been able to get Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. If they can flip Jalen Brown to go to Nathaniel Joseph, that is a dynamic one-two punch at receiver. USC has a pretty good one-two punch. I'm not quite as high on Makai Lemon as some other people are, but uh, Branch is dynamic. He's Branch really good. Branch is good, man. He's yeah, really he's good. really good. Uh, Makai really Lemon good. is a good player, but they're going to need another really good player to be in the conversation. Uh, I, I saw someone. I saw someone say Texas. Do they? Who else do they have besides Jonte John, Cook? Do they have somebody uh, else? It's a, it's a good question. Let me let me look at their group. Jonte's Cook's a, a good football player for sure. Uh, he's he's a, 
got he's another he needs work, but the talent is is really impressive. Let's see what else they have at receiver. And there's a couple guys that are on. They got Jonah Wilson. Uh Ryan Nesbitt's a pretty decent player. Uh Jonah Wilson, yeah. I'm not familiar with. He's ranked as a four-star by rivals, 6'4, 205 pound kid. Ryan Niblet, excuse me, is a is a decent player. He's a decent player. Jonte yeah. Cook's really good. They'd yeah. have to get another like top Stug. 50 to 75 guy for me to say they're Notre Dame's level. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, that's just my opinion. I, I like Jonte Cook. You know, maybe he ranks higher than the guys Notre Dame has, but but his ceiling's not any higher than Braylon James or Ronan Hannafin, those kind of guys. Someone said me. someone said Jalen Hale. He's not committed though yet, right? No, He's uh-uh. just top target. Yeah. And yeah. and I didn't like Jalen Hale's junior film as much as I liked his sophomore film, to be honest. Yeah. So I don't know if he had an injury or something like that. But I don't I don't know if that would be enough to put them over the top based on what I know of them. But again, I say that very loosely because as mm-hmm. I just said, I, I don't I don't remember watching Jonah Wilson play. So, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at his ranking, he just looks like a top 250-ish kind of guy. Uh, yeah. But I haven't seen him play. So, again, I, I, I say that loosely. I'm I just looking – I'm looking at it from the standpoint of knowing what Notre Dame would have and then looking at what teams tend to sign. I can't think in many years they'd finish lower than third or fourth based on mm-hmm. what we think of those players. Um, I, so, I, it'd be a heck of a group. I just watched the future of 50, Brian. That mm-hmm. branch kid from he's explosive. Gorman, that's going to USC. That kid is special, well, man. You know, he's... I mean, it's fine. He looks great with, with that. But I'll tell you something, honestly, Ryan. I saw the highlights yeah. of him, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Because uh-huh. here's why. He's yep. better with pads on. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Like, he's a really, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. He did all that with no pads on. But, man, wait to see that kid with pads on. He's a really good football player. Yeah, really his, good football um, player. His bot, his body control, and just yeah, he was really good player. Really yeah. good. Yep, very good. Let's get to some more here. We have a super chat from Christopher Morgan. It says Happy Wednesday, IB Nation. As a kid, I was a Nestle strawberry milk fan. And do you guys remember High C Green Ecto Cooler from Ghostbusters in the can? I do not remember the last thing. I remember. Um, I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nestle strawberry milk fan. Okay. Here's my thing with strawberry stuff. It stinks. Oh, sorry. I have to I, – I normally don't like it. Like strawberry milkshakes, I normally don't like it. But every now and then, I'll get in this weird mood where I'll – it's like Big Macs. I don't really love Big Macs, but every now and then, I'll just get in a mood where I'm craving a Big Mac. Every now and then, I get in a mood where I'm like, I want a strawberry shake, and then I'll have one, and then I'm over it. But if I try to have one when I'm not, like, craving it, which happens like maybe once every five years. It's weird. I don't know what it is, but I kind of feel like I'm, I have the, what was it? Uh, Men in black three, mm-hmm. right. That where like, he just some kind of time warp has happened. And all of a sudden I'm craving like chocolate, you know, strawberry milk. Maybe it's something like that, but uh, time warp. N- yeah, normally, <laughs> n- normally I can't, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not into the strawberry stuff. Yeah. I don't really like strawberry milk or strawberry shakes. I like strawberry lemonade if that counts, but yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not a lemonade guy. It's too um, no? oh, nah, it's man, too bitter I for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I can but, only ever drink it when I was a kid and, and I was exhausted. Like we were out playing and I was hot and even then it was just like more just because I liked the cold. Not a big Interesting. Guy. Interesting. Big fan. I, had a, I had a half a half yesterday. I had a little Arnold Palmer yeah. action. It's always good. Uh, there you go. Here's a question I have for you. Ryan, you may know the answer to this. I, I don't know uh-huh. the answer. It's from Will Burkhart. Do you guys think the Bowens were named after the Mannings? What, is, what does that mean? I don't know. Well, Eli what, what, and Peyton Bowen were they named after Eli and Peyton Manning? Oh, 
I never even I never even yeah. had the parallel. There. I never thought uh, about that. Well, that's a great question. I have no idea. Yeah, that's your idea. That's, an, that's interesting. I, mean, I, I never would, even I never even painted that picture together. I mean, that's, my that's just personal opinion. I have no knowledge of this. I would imagine so. I mean, that's a, an interesting brother combination. It's very. It, it's very it, I mean, because Peyton. I mean, Peyton's becoming a little more of a mm-hmm. common name, I guess. Sure. Like, Eli's not like super common, right? Mm-mm. Like that's not, I don't, Mm-mm. I don't, I've never met an Eli mm-hmm. <laughs> personally. And in they're, person. they're in the age group at say basically 17, 16 or 18, 17 where, yeah, that it would fit that the Mannings were, you know, NFL players. Right. I mean, cause these that's kids would have been born what, like in 2000 and if you're 18 now, you'd have been what born in 2004. Yeah. Right. Well, yep. by that point in time, Peyton was pretty good already. You know what I mean? And, and Eli obviously was what going into year two or three around then. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he? When was he? Was he was an 03 or 04 draft? He was the number one pick. Who's that? Eli Who's Manning. Eli, Eli Eli was two thousand four. He's two thousand four. Okay, and then so that, Manning was ninety eight. I think. Yeah, he was ninety eight. Yep, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yep. So he was the number one pick in two thousand four. So that was yeah. a great draft. It's interesting. Guys. Yeah, I, how, what, how how rare is that that you have all those quarterbacks that all hit the yes. Rivers and Roethlisberger and Eli Manning and they all hit you know it was just crazy I mean so. you, wouldn't you say you'd have to go back to probably have to go back to the the 83 draft right I mean I guess but even in the 83 draft I mean you had Elway and Marino obviously but I mean there were a couple guys in between that you're like they weren't well I mean but players. JP Lossman was a was a first round pick that year oh true I forgot about JP yeah yeah <laughs> So, I mean, because I mean, you had Marino. You also had uh, Jim Kelly. Yeah, you know sure. who was a Hall of Famer. You know, what I mean, so yeah. you had three Hall of Famers in that draft. You had, yep. The thing is, I think there was just more quarterbacks taken that year. There was you know, like Todd there like Blackledge, six guys like six or seven. Yeah, yeah. Blackledge was not great. Yeah, Blackledge was not. Great. Let me look at that one. He was a pretty good college player. Let me see, nineteen eighty three NFL draft. Penn, Penn State, great Todd. Blackledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elway was first. Todd Blackledge was the second quarterback Ugh. taken. Yep. Jim Kelly, Tony Easton wasn't very good, but he did start in a Super Bowl. He was okay. He was okay. He Ken was O'Brien good. was a really underrated quarterback in my. Opinion. He had he fumbled a lot though. He yeah, had a lot but he was he was a very career. underrated quarterback. He was and, a good player. Yeah. And then Dan Marino. So he had was that six, two, two, three, four, five. So he had six. That's yeah, crazy. Six. So that's, that's a crazy a, number. <laughs> a lot of quarterbacks, man. It's a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. And then you didn't have another quarterback taken. Here's the crazy thing is you didn't have another quarterback taken until the fifth round, and it was Jeff Christensen. Now, Ooh. I think he is the guy that's the court. He's a quarterback's coach now, I believe. Believe so. Yeah, believe and, so. Then, and then the sixth round, you had uh, – here's some great ones. Uh, Reggie Collier and then Babe Laufenberg. Like, Ooh. that. what a great name that is. That's hilarious. It sounds like it. And then in the eighth round – the Denver Bron- a lot of people don't remember this. The Denver Broncos actually drafted two quarterbacks that year. Okay. In the eighth round, they, in the, the first pick of the eighth round, they drafted uh, they drafted uh, Gary Kubiak. Oh, I, I have heard yeah. that before. I've heard yep. that before. Yeah. So, uh-huh. yep. And then of course that was back when they had like a million a million draft. Like was it twelve rounds? Yeah. So there's a lot of quarterbacks taken. But that's that's like when uh, Troy Aikman was picked by the Cowboys. They also drafted um, the quarterback from Miami in the fourth mm-hmm. round. What was his name? Yep. Steve something. I forget yep. his name. Yeah. In one of the the biggest uh, draft misses ever, and I would be very curious to hear the story behind how he fell this far. Uh-huh. The second to last pick of the draft with pick number 334, the Miami Dolphins drafted Anthony Carter. 
Now, I wonder if that was one of those deals where like he was a CFL guy or not, I mean, USFL guy. Cause remember that was back when the USFL was taking guys. Cause remember Jim Kelly got drafted in 83, but he went to the USFL first. Uh-huh. And so I'd be curious if Anthony Carter was, had committed the USFL and that's why he drafted. Cause he was a great college player. And he, I don't think he played for the dolphins. So that would be a very interesting story to see kind of how that played out. And I, I don't know the story on that one. I just, I only know of Anthony Carter. He was great at Michigan, but then he with the Vikings. So mm-hmm. I'd be very curious how that backstory went. And I'm sure there's some folks in here that remember that that would be able to share yeah. us. But that I, so when I saw his name at the bottom of that draft, I was like, hold on a second. There's gotta be, because that's the thing is like back then it's like when rocket got drafted by the Raiders, like late in the uh, NFL draft. Uh-huh. Well, the reason he didn't get drafted higher is because he was, he had already signed with the CFL, the Argonauts, but he still got drafted in the NFL. He got drafted in the fourth round by the Raiders. So uh, very, very interesting. Very interesting. I'm, tr- that, I'm uh, trying to find, I'm trying to find what happened there, but I can't find yep. anything yet. When I think harder. Yeah. We'll see. No doubt. Yeah, so I said, if, is there a Cooper Bowen? If we find out that the Bowens have a younger brother named Cooper, then we'll know that we'll we'll, we'll definitely know. We'll yes. definitely know. We'll definitely know. So uh, here, here's a we'll, we'll wrap up with this last question. I think that uh, we're gonna wrap up here. I think that we have these are all the questions that we have, and we got to get rolling. So, someone here. someone said Steve Walsh. That was the Steve that I was thinking of. They got drafted by the Cowboys after Troy Aikman. Steve Walsh. Okay. Much better Who college actually, player than an NFL player. Well, yes, but here's a stat for you. Uh, Troy Aikman went winless his rookie year. The only win that Cowboys team had that year, Steve Walsh was the quarterback for. So, Interesting. I did not. I did not know that. Yes. I did not know that. I remember how bad they Funky were that stat. year. Yeah, they were. They yeah, were like be, one. They were like one in whatever. One in fifteen. And here's the thing: the only I believe what was that nineteen what was that nineteen ninety? Was that Something when like it was that. Had, had the year that they went one in fifteen? Um, yeah, I think I think it was. Let me let me just look this up real quick because my parents still are upset about this. It was 89. 1989. Uh their only win that year was I believe over the Redskins. And so, yeah, uh I, I'm I'm looking this up. Yeah, it was it was at the Redskins. And so Washington was decent that year. They went 10 and 6 and that really upset my cuz like you're because you, if they would have won, they would have been 11 and five and, you know, who knows how things kind of pan out, but yeah, they were not happy about that. Like, how do you, how do you lose to at home to one and 15 Cowboys? Cause my parents are Redskins. We're, we're Redskins fans. Now they, they don't follow NFL anymore, but cause my, my dad says my, the team I rooted for doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I love that. But, uh, but yeah, yeah here's, here's one, Brian, similar story to that. The Miami Dolphins, 2007, they went, one in 15, their lone victory was an overtime game against the Baltimore Ravens that year. And the Baltimore Ravens, I believe, were very good that year. If I remember, what year was that? 2007. Oh, no, Baltimore was not good that year. Forget it. I lied. Okay, they weren't a good team that year. I bet. Okay, I was gonna I just say assume man, they that's... were because they're a consistently good franchise, but yeah. they were not good that year. Inter, yeah, but still one in 15. Boy, that oof, great, oof, great cam. Oof. I remember watching that game because my dad's a Dolphins fan, and that was an awful year for him. Greg Camarillo had the game winning touchdown in overtime over the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. It was ugly. Yeah, ugly. yep, yeah. Here's the here's the last question I wanted to get to. I thought this was really interesting. Jason Rose says, out of Clark Lee and Mike Elko, which former Notre Dame defensive coordinator is going to have more success? I have an easy one for this one. I don't know if it's easy for you, but I think it's I, Mike Elko. Okay, I, then I it's think. easy for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Say why. 
It's, I mean, it's mostly because Vanderbilt, I mean, they're in the SEC, right? Like it's, it's just going to be a tough road for Vanderbilt. I think it's going to be tough to not only recruit in the States, right. That you're in Tennessee is going to steal a lot of the kids that they want, or other programs are going to steal a lot of the kids out of your backyard. But then also, I think it's just going to be tough getting players that want to come play at Vanderbilt, to be honest, against other SEC opponents. While Duke, I think, I think that we've seen more consistency of Duke being a good program in mm-hmm. pretty the pretty recent. I know they haven't been great over the last couple of years, but they did some good stuff at spurts against under David Cutcliffe. So I mm-hmm. think that Duke's just in a more. I think it's a more advantageous conference. I think they're in a more advantageous situation as far as proximity in the country. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that they're going to have more success than Vanderbilt overall. I also think it's a, a place where it's easier to win in, a, in other ways. I think there's more talent to acquire that's willing to go to Duke in North Carolina yep. and Virginia than you would have at, Duke, at, Van, at Vanderbilt. I don't know a lot about Vanderbilt's campus, but you know, Duke's got a pretty cool campus. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of tradition at Duke that's not football-related that you can sell, kind of like how the Notre Dame basketball team used to always use football games for their recruiting <laughs> tools you know what I mean like you bring a kid in that you're trying to close in on February and you bring him in for a Duke basketball game that's a pretty that's a pretty hot experience right Um, it's also an outstanding academic institution Uh, so I think there's some built-in advantages but when it comes down to it for me Ryan it's it's also the the coach I think Mike Elko is better positioned to be a successful coach than than Clark Lee because I think he's a better recruiter to be honest with you than Clark Lee uh, I think he's he's a guy that understands. Like Mike Elko has shown me, one thing I liked about Elko uh, is when he when he's been at places like I kind of feel like when I watched when I watched Vanderbilt last year, mm-hmm. even then you kind of saw Clark Lee kind of coaching like you know we're we're going to line up and be fundamentally sound and you know, we're going to do this. And and it's just kind of like, uh, man, you can't be that at Vanderbilt where Elko showed at wake, like Elko knows that, Hey, when I don't have the players, I got to do something to, to neutralize that schematically. Right. And I think that he'll understand, Hey, we got to go out and get an air raid coach. And, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily have one now, but he may say, Hey, look, you know, we got to go out and get an air raid coach or a, or a a spread coach or whatever, because we got to, we got to schematically, uh, get to the point where we can kind of make up the talent gap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's another reason why I would look at that and say, I think it's Elko. I just think Elko's and, and I mean, no disrespect to Clark Lee. Clark Lee's a very good football coach. Yep. I just think, I think Mike Elko is a better football coach. And I think Mike Elko has a little bit more of a dynamic personality to sell that'll make it more attractive. And he just has always been a more proven recruiter. Now I think Vanderbilt's doing some nice things on the recruiting trail, actually. Sure. And, and, and I've, I've been surprised by some of the pickups they've gotten. So I'm willing to have my opinion changed by that because, and he also may say, look, I'm this personality. Like somebody tweeted out yesterday that Clark Lee has been talking for a long time, but he hasn't exactly said anything. And anyone that has seen Clark Lee speak publicly, like that's, yeah, that's kind of Coach Lee. He's got a very dry personality, like very mild-mannered. He may know that and say, so I've got to hire guys that are the opposite of that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and you know, bringing in Barton Simmons, I think was a smart move for what he's asking him to do. Uh, you know, I know one hire that I have to say fully support. He hired my friend Justin Lustig, which I think is a very smart special teams hire. So, um you know, so I just think I think those are the, the things where I say I think Clark Lee has a has an opportunity to prove me wrong 
Mm-hmm. But right now, I'm going to go with Mike Elko uh, okay. at this point in time, just because I think of of all the reasons that I had said. So uh, that's um, that's it. So Ryan, I think that's going to do it for our show today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being a part of of what we are doing. Um, here we go, Mace AK taking us out of here correctly. Join the message board, everybody. Hit that like button. Subscribe to this podcast. Hit that notification bell. Share this podcast. Please leave a five-star review if you're listening via podcast platform. Visit the Irish Breakdown store for all the cool merch that we have. And as always, go Irish. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Tonight, tonight, 6 o'clock, IB Nation Sports Talk. Don't be late. We'll tweet that out here a little after 5 o'clock. Uh, Sean will be with us tonight. Vince is still on vacation, so it'll be Sean and I believe his son Jesse tonight will be on the show. And he said that the uh, topic for tonight is sort of the checklist for Notre Dame's success in 2022. And he's also going to interview former Notre Dame pitcher Chris Niesel. So that will be the topics for shows tonight. So everybody uh, check that out. And the rest of you, we will talk to you again tomorrow, 1 o'clock. We're going to talk some team stuff most likely tomorrow, as long as there's no recruiting news breaking between now and then, which we are not aware of any that's going to happen. So that's some team stuff to discuss tomorrow. And, of course, check out the irishbreakdown.com. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.